Sadeddin. Suleiman. How was your week, bro? My week was interesting, bro. This week, uh, it consisted of watching a film and doing a lot of sleeping, uh, which I forgive myself for because of the coronavirus and being cooped up in our homes and rooms. Um, the film I watched was a film called Boy. It's directed by a man called Taika Waititi. Um, he's a genius, I think. Uh, the bo- the film is about fatherhood and it's a coming of age story. Mm. But what stuck out to me in the film was the way the di- uh, the writer and director Taika Waititi wrote all the characters, and so so each and every one of them feels so real. And okay. what that meant is there were points in film. There's points in every story where you feel like a character can take the easy route out. So say mm. like there's twenty minutes left of the film and you want to wrap it up and make it a happy ending and everyone patches up everything with each other. In this film, even when that was happening, every character did that patching up and happy happy ending in their own authentic way. Mm. It reminded me of something Quentin Tarantino does, the famous director of Django Unchained and Pulp Fiction. He writes his characters to such a detail that when he invites an actor to to be that character he tells them listen to all of this music because mm. that's the kind of music that this character will listen to so he goes to that level of detail and what that means is that when i was watching that film and when i watched those kinds of films the characters just propel the movie forward yeah. and every one of them feels very real so yeah that 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 film really um was one of the highlights of my week amongst the um sleeping in as well man how's your week nah man that sounds very interesting i can't wait to check that film out and let you know what i think um but yeah so this week uh, the highlight of my week was reading a book (laughs) it's pretty normal pretty usual week but uh this book was called people like us what it takes to make it in modern britain um the author of the book was hashi mohammed um i know you know who he is but for everyone who's listening who doesn't, um, Hashi Mohammed is a British Somali barrister. Uh, he grew up, he came to the UK as a child refugee, and then he grew up in northwest London in the Wembley area, not too far from where me and Saadadeen live. Um, he then went on to study his undergrad at Hertfordshire, his postgrad at Oxford, and now he's a barrister. Uh, so he's clearly had a very extraordinary life, um, journey through life. Um, and what the book is about so it's partly an autobiography of his life but it's also an analysis on the different factors that shape social mobility in the UK Mm. Um, and to be very honest with you bro like given his unique life story I was kind of expecting him to use his journey as a case study um, Mm. to kind of show what can happen if you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps but to my pleasant surprise it, uh, he came to a very different conclusion about what it takes to make it in Britain um, and essentially what he concludes is to make it in Britain today it's largely dependent on a number of arbitrary factors so it's dependent on the wealth and the profession of your parents the kind of school you attended the quality of your early environment growing up um, and one of the really thought-provoking points that he makes refer- refers to how our confidence in our identity impacts our prospects to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, He writes that to become a socially mobile person, it is very key that you are able to picture yourself in this country as an equal and productive member of society. Um, And if you're an immigrant or minority and you're told by society, you're told by the national media, you're told by your lived experiences and even your family that this place is not your home, 
or not your real home, it can be very difficult to imagine yourself doing well in this society. Um, but yeah, it was a very good read. Um, and I know for a lot of people, it's, it's obvious that we don't live in a meritocratic society, but it was mm. still very fascinating to see all of the evidence that he provides um, and to see some of the solutions he suggests as well. Um, mm. But yeah, man, that was, that was that, the highlight of my week. That point about belonging and confidence mm. in your identity reminds mm. me of something um, a teacher of mine once sort of lectured the classroom on, and they were saying how those that don't feel like they belong in, in the classroom or that this space isn't for them, they won't take their jackets off like that was the the, the um, what she noticed is like people just keep their jackets on mm. and she, she sort of drew an analogy of feeling like you have to kind of protect yourself from mm. that world and not fully engage in it so similar to like folding your arms as a body language to, to yeah. not being completely reciprocal or receptive to what's going on around you so yeah that's yeah I think the, the theme of confidence came up um, throughout his book because I mean, in order to do well in nearly any profession, you need to have a level of confidence, right? Um, yeah. And if, I mean, if you're, if you're someone that's, you know I mean, has less privileges and less, you know I mean, benefits, yeah. and opportunities, it's hard to have that confidence. Um, but yeah, man, let's move on to today's reflection session. Uh, mm-hmm. Today we're reflecting on Mobin, ep- Mobin's episode, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So our conversation with Mobin, uh, what what stuck out to me in that conversation was the theme of turning points. Um, the reason for that is both you and Mobin went through significant turning points through your time in school and you both saw them as before and after moments. For Mobin, it was the passing away of his father. I always see my life in terms of like a before and after moment. So like, so uh, my father, this is about around 2010, my, my dad got unwell, was really unwell for months and months and he was like still in hospital t- until he passed away um, like towards the end of year nine basically. That's when I can. That's when I felt like. That's when my memories start. Like that's when I feel like I was born almost. Like or my or my my conscious life started. And for you, Soleiman, it was your near expulsion from school. I was in year ten, and up until from like year nine to year ten, I would say I was quite a. I used to I used to get in trouble a lot at school. Mm. Just a standard kind of rebellious kind of phase of adolescence, right? Um, there was a meeting between my head teacher and my mum, and this was the second time my mum came to meet my head teacher. And my head teacher essentially asked my mum, like quite put that like, she she basically said she kind of compelled my mum to look <laughs> for another school. Um, she was like, I think it is in your best interest to transfer your son to another school as soon as possible. Um, it's very difficult for us to permanently exclude him for a variety of reasons. So we would ra- we would much rather you voluntarily leave. And then when I came back at lunchtime for my uh, social exclusion. The head of Key Stage 4 had a conversation with me and it was like to me, Suleiman, when you left to go back to your lesson, I had a conversation with your mum about the meeting and she essentially cried to me and she essentially, like, I had to, like, basically, um, I had to kind of comfort her because uh, she felt like it was her fault, etc. And that, when, when, yeah, when, my, when, my, when, when she said that to me, things started to change, innit? And I was like, I was like, I need to become more mature. And what maturity meant for me was becoming less selfish. The reason both of these examples stuck out to me is both of you reacted overwhelmingly positively to what was a serious challenge at a relatively young age. And that made me think about what 
makes people react positively or negatively to these experiences? To what extent are the way we react to things within our control? To what extent are they environmental factors that are beyond our control? It reminded me of a time when I was in school and I could I went through what you could maybe describe as a turning point of sorts. I wouldn't say it was on the same level um, of seriousness as both you and Mobeans, but it was a turning point for me nonetheless. What happened was I had, like many people um, my age and people I was around, uh, had expected to go to not go to to normal college um, and do typical A levels or B techs. Um, I my, it, it, when I was in year eleven, my my plan or the route I was heading towards was to go and uh, play football at a higher level, which means that you don't end up going to college. You do sort of maybe a B tech in sports science and play football for those two years that others would be in college. Um, that didn't happen, and I ended up having to go to my local sixth form. Now, what that meant, for, how I reacted to that, in contrast with you and Mobin, was looking back now, definitely quite a negative way. Um, for me, I didn't see why I was in the college I was at. And for that year, I think I could describe that year as just me almost sulking and, and being quite resentful of the fact that I was in this place that I had never expected to be in. Um, so that made me think about um, the question I wanted to ask you, Suleiman, which is mm. why do you think in after facing the turning point that you went through, you reacted so overwhelmingly positively in light of it? That's, that's a really interesting question. And it's something I haven't really reflected on a lot, um, a great deal. I would say the reason I reacted the way I did was probably due to maybe two reasons, I'd say. So the first reason being, it was a very unique experience. It was an event, it was a scenario where two of my worlds were colliding. So I have my one world being my home life and my, my, my second world being my school life. And both of them collided in a way that I had never experienced before. So that was a very unique experience and it kind of, it just, it woke me up, I'd say. Um, and it broadened, it broadened my horizons. Um, and I'd say the second reason why I reacted the way I did is because I believed that I had some control over the situation. Um, I believed that I was able to tangibly make the situation better. Um, I kind of believed in my capabilities inside. So, so yeah, I would say I would say it was because of both of those reasons. Okay. Yeah, man. But yeah, that's a really interesting point. Uh, um, yeah. So on 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 my theme of reflection um whilst re re-listening to mobin's um, our conversation with, with mobin one of the main themes that resonated with me was gratitude i think i also in a funny way became a lot more grateful just like gratitude became an active thing of my life because we were in a situation where like fit like we just got like things could have been a lot worse in a lot of ways and it kind of just everything every time something bad didn't happen i was like oh we, i thank god that that didn't happen and like i started to become a lot more just like practically conscious of like oh no i'm so blessed to have this i'm so blessed to have this and stuff and i am really 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 grateful that mm. i was given difficulty at a certain age and allowed to grow through it like mm. the experience of coming to life and being and i'm grateful for gratitude mm. itself like i'm grateful 
that I'm able, able to say thank you for things. Listening to Mobin speak about how he was grateful for being grateful reminded me of a quote by Oprah. She said, be thankful for what you have and you'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never have enough. Psychologists have scientifically proven that one of the greatest contributing factors for overall happiness in life is how, how much gratitude you show to other people. Um, and practicing gratitude not only improves your relationships with other people, it improves your self-esteem, it improves your feeling of connection in times of difficulty or crisis. And the whole theme of gratitude made me think about um, an event that happened in my life that I don't think I've shared with you before, Sadadeen. But essentially, when I was in year 13, I was asked to give a speech to my peers in sixth form about my journey through education. Um, and during my speech, I gave one piece of advice that had benefited me on how to practice gratitude. That what can we actually do to uh, practically um, inculcate some uh, a feeling of gratitude into our everyday life? Um, and the the tip that I recommended came from an Eric Thomas motivational video. Um, and essentially what he says is, practice gratitude by changing the phrase, I have to, to I get to. So for example, instead of saying, I have to wake up early tomorrow, say, I get to wake up early tomorrow. Instead of saying, I have to revise for my exams, say, I get to revise for my exams. And instead of saying, I have to make food for my family, for example, say, I get to make food for my family. I don't know what you think, but for me, that slight alteration of the sentence completely changes the tone. It completely changes the meaning and it makes you feel a lot more grateful. Um, so that leads to my question for you, Saadadeen, on this topic mm. of gratitude. Do you have any particular strategies that you implement to practice gratitude? Um, and mm. what are you grateful for today? Uh, I'll answer that. Yeah, so to answer your first question, mm. uh, something I always try and do is remind myself that I can always be worse. Um, it, which brings the image to mind, you know, in cartoons where they say it could be worse, there could be no lights and something, and then the light yeah, turns yeah. off. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. So, so some, that's something I try and always practice regularly, no matter what what's happening. Um, so, like an event can be happening, it could be raining and it's not raining, or it could be Jeremy pitch black and it's not pitch black, or mm-hmm. all of these kind of mini, small things. Um, I try and just remind myself that can always be worse. Um, to answer your second question, is there something I'm particularly grateful for? Uh, my instinctual uh, answer is to to say my family. There's there that that is something I'm tremendously grateful for. Um, but I also would want to add that I would I think for me real gratefulness is is being grateful despite what you have or don't have, and so. Um, I think that that's the kind of gratefulness that I aspire to that even if I didn't have any list of things that I can say I'm grateful for I would still be grateful regardless um, because it could always be worse mm-hmm. um, and just reminding myself of, of that principle is is both my technique and how I keep in check and perspective the idea of gratefulness no, that's really interesting I, I like your, your strategy about always thinking that things could be worse like every mm. time I leave an example, I'll, if someone asks me how did the exam go, I, the first thing I say it could have been worse. Could have been yeah. worse. I'm, I could have not have shown up to the exam. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 
um, but yeah, man, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, okay, no, our conversation with Mabin was special for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so. And this week we have our guest listener, Ayo, who's um, going to share some reflections from our conversation with Mobin. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And I really love the concept. So like, I'd like to start by like, thanking you both for the, for the concept of the podcast. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, obviously Mobin's my guy. So I was really interested to hear his thoughts about sort of the questions you were asking him. I love the discussion on um, community and being, um, being from Africa as well. Uh, we can relate to sort of back home it being more of a communitarist feel um, people sort of more willing to help um, than here and actually during these times of corona I've seen that exemplified even more like I've seen that people are, have been very very selfish in their actions and the things they've done um, and it's very individualist culture here you know sort of people aren't really willing to stay home and, and sacrifice uh, for the good of the good of co- the collective um, I was also really really touched by the discussion of um, your childhood, uh, Mobin. Um, and I love the way you prompted him to to speak on that and the way it was expressed as well in terms of um, a before and after a life-changing event. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it and a way that I think uh, you both leapt onto the discussion well with as well. Because now seeing Mobin and knowing Mobin at the stage of his life that I do, they actually made me think back and like actually some of the traits I see in him now, I realised that he may not have had them before. And like it's actually like interesting to see like his growth and, and you know what and how how he describes it it's really it's really cool um and that links into sort of the discussion about motivations um the closing the gap between where you are and where you want to be um i took a lot of inspiration from that because um as i said i saw i saw him grow and change like a lot over uni and his final year self i'm sure he'll he'll test to this was very very different to his first year self and i was actually always inspired by that and seeing sort of what the under, underlying motivations of that were you know i just love that whole commitment to self-improvement and always sort of never resting your laurels and being very introspective um there's a trace associated with Moby, and i just love seeing sort of historically where that's where that stemmed from in terms of things i, w- I, I wish you touched on more this is like purely for bankers purposes but i love the discussion of richmond Com- college so i would have loved maybe a bit more on that just just to <laughs> just to make me laugh a bit more but that's me being selfish um but it did seem like a proper contrast in the way that you just expressed it in terms of you know, um, the ghetto, but with good teaching. I'd love to hear more discussion on ter- in terms of like, um, maybe in your like academic history. I know it, but I think it would have it would have been a, a great inspiration to other people because I can one hundred percent relate to the whole your academic CV looking linear and looking like it was all just crystal and everything was fine when actually at stages it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't at all. Um, and I think a lot of people could take a, a lot of inspiration from that. But that's that's the one thing I wish you probed a, a tiny bit more. But obviously, there are massive time constraints. Like, look at me now. I'm meant to do a video for a minute and a half, and I'm I'm taking five minutes. Um, <laughs> so um, all in all, really really thoroughly enjoyed the episode. Was really inspired by it, and uh, really inspired by what you're what you're both doing. I really and uh, yeah, I wish you all the best in the future. That is it for this week. To keep in touch, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. That's Afterwork underscore UK on Instagram and Twitter. And Afterwork Podcast everywhere else. If you took even one thing away from this episode, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and comment on our YouTube video. Any thoughts or suggestions for future episodes, DM us on our socials or shoot us an email at afterwork258 at gmail.com. In any case, 
See you same time, same place next week.